This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person, or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. I don't know how many of you saw me drive up this morning. Uh, we drove up and we arrived about 20 minutes early because all my clothes are in this house and I wasn't living in this house. And so all I had was a t-shirt, uh, like one of those V-neck white t-shirts, you know, that you're not supposed to walk around in. Uh, and so Hudson called it my naked state as I was running around on campus. Uh, but I made it into the house, hopefully without being seen, and uh, I just had, I, I found my fall clothes yesterday. The problem is I didn't bring them home with me, I left them in the lake house. So uh, it's, that's sort of the season that I'm in, where it's just like, I, ha- I was so cold this morning because all I had was a t-shirt. I have no jackets, no coats, no, you know, I didn't have any long sleeve shirts. I was thinking of wrapping a towel around myself on the way here. I did have a towel, but I didn't do that. I decided to be more manly about it. It's like, no, I can handle this. And, uh, but it's, there's a lot of humor uh, in our life because of that. Uh, last week we had a, a, actually it was two weeks ago, uh, sorry. Two weeks ago we had a message called At the Cave's Mouth. And that was dealing with Mary and Martha and that extenuating challenge that comes with being beloved by Jesus Christ. Everyone else seems to come up to Jesus and who needs healing, and he heals them. But Mary and Martha have a significant need, and Jesus is in a close relationship with Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus, and Lazarus is sick. And so wouldn't it be obvious, wouldn't it just make sense to fill in the gap, fill in the blank in the storyline? It's like, well, Jesus heals Lazarus, which is true, that is what happened, but Jesus really loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So they get the bonus opportunity in life to reveal a greater glory. And in that bonus opportunity, they get to be brought into an extenuating circumstance where it demands a greater faith. It demands a greater challenge. And God walks those he loves through greater challenges. And that's hard for us to digest sometimes, but that was a very meaningful message for me. It's not a new meditation. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the old meditations become very precious to us, but they feel new all over again? That I know that meditation, and yet I need to hear it over and over and over again. So this is the extension of that. That's John chapter 11, and at the conclusion of that story, you're going to see a plot to kill Jesus. And then we're going to make our way into John chapter 12 today, and that will make sense as we progress. Uh, This is a message called Not Just a Little, and that's more of a symbolic picture than it is anything else. Like if you were to hear the message and then look back on it, it'll make more sense. Right now, it probably would be hard to explain, but not just a little. So like I said, two weeks ago, we had the message at the cave's mouth, and To be brought to the cave's mouth means we're at a point where our faith is being tried and tested beyond even what we have faith for. Lazarus has been wrapped in grave claws. He's dead, by the way. Wrapped in grave claws and put in a cave and a big stone is rolled in front of it and four days has passed. And when you are at that place, I had to come up with an excuse to get this quote back in, uh, but Lord, he stinketh. Uh, and that's Martha's famous, I don't know if it's famous, it is to me, it's one of my favorite quotes in the Bible. And actually, if you try and find that in scripture, you won't find it, uh, it says, it's, but it's similar, it still has the word stinketh, but that's the quote that I've used for many years, because it says something which is, it's impossible, Lord. It's beyond the point of repair. It's, Lord, you, you allowed this to go too long. You, you didn't intercede quick enough. And that's what that statement means. And is there ever a point where God cannot bring remedy? Is there ever an irredeemable point for us? The last breath we breathe, when the door of the ark closes, yes. But we're not there. We're in a point where 
the circumstance we are in is redeemable, where there is hope. And if we will look to our Lord, will he not come through? So this is Jesus' response when Martha, when he says, roll away the stone, and then uh, Martha says her stinketh line, and then Jesus responds to Martha, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And that, that line had a significant impact on me, and I meditated on it for quite some time, and obviously I'm still lingering uh, near it. And that sort of leads us to where we're at now, because we have recognized in seeing that stone rolled away and Lazarus comes forth, and he is alive. He's not like some ghost-like character, he's alive. And the, the statement that we could have in our soul is, is he not faithful? Did he not keep his word? He said, this sickness will not end in death. Did he not prove true? And so this leads us to John chapter 12 in our storyline with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial." For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. So we have some potential confusion here. So I'm going to say not to be confused, the two potential Mary Spikenard outpourings. And this is a bit confusing, I have to admit. So if you've ever read, because we have Matthew, we have Mark, and then we have a John story that all sound very similar with very similar quotes. And... The story I just shared was six days before Passover. And so six days before Passover, we seem to be in Bethany at the house of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Now, it technically, it doesn't say at Lazarus's house. It doesn't say that. And so there's a lot of commentators that are going to blend these two together and say it's the same storyline. The other story, however, has a challenge in it, and it says it's two days before the Passover. And it's in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. And the stories are so parallel that you could understand why someone might say, well, that's the same story. And that's what I've always done too. So if you've ever heard me teach on this, that's usually what I do is I group them. It's like, oh, there's too many overlaps to, to look at them otherwise. The one thing I hadn't noticed is the difference in days. It's like, I don't know why that didn't stand out to me until this time. And so what that opens up for us is a unique perspective opportunity uh, on this particular story is that it's like this week before Jesus is going to die and be buried and something is taking place in Mary of course John chapter 12 is immediately following Lazarus which gives us some unique perspective on what is going on in Mary because Lazarus is sitting at the table you could just imagine the emotion the yearning that Mary has to even give a thank offering. I mean, that would even make sense. And so there's a lot going on in this story that I will unpack as we progress, but I'm going to call it a pound of preciousness, a thanksgiving offering. The first story, John chapter 12, which takes place six days before, it says that Mary took a pound of ointment and it's very precious ointment. And she is going to pour that out on Jesus's feet. John 12, 3, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Huh. And uh, the keynote decided to go off, so this is a great time for commentary. Uh, it always comes back right on after I say something like that, too. Uh, there it is. What is this precious stuff? So when we're dealing with this spikenard, and if you've gone through Ellerslie, you know, because I, I, I teach on it every semester, I'll go through what spikenard is. And so 
Uh, we'll, we'll look at that uh, together right now. Spikenard, the Greek word is nardos. Uh, Spikenard is the head of a fragrant East Indian plant which yields an oily juice of delicious odor. The ancients used this oily juice in the preparation of a most precious ointment. It is a healing juice used for an extraordinary number of ailments. Just listen to this. This is amazing. It is a skin tonic that helps to cure fungal and bacterial skin infections. It provides relief from various types of inflammation. It helps cure constipation. It provides relief from insomnia, stress, and anxiety. It is a perfume and is also an effective deodorant. In addition to that, it treats allergies, fevers, hemorrhoids, angina pain, and varicose veins. This healing juice aids in cell regeneration, the healing of wounds, the circulation of blood and lymph, and the secretion of hormones and enzymes. It's the cure-all substance. Now, in light of that, isn't it fascinating? First of all, some of you are very impressed with this, uh, and you're like, hmm, I need to get my hands on some of that. Isn't it interesting just the context for this, though? Mary has this. It's almost like an insurance policy. Uh, one of the descriptions, if you take uh, one of the different translations of it, would say this is worth a year's wages. A year's wages. Uh, this is very, very valuable stuff. And if it's a cure-all substance, it didn't work on Lazarus. And no doubt that it would have been whipped out of the pantry. And yet, this insurance policy that was there, that Mary, and I'm going to give you a hint of where I'm going with this, that Mary had faith in. Have you ever had something in your life that is like, as long as that's there, I, I can relax. As long as I have that, whew, at least I have that to fall back on. And the fall back on concept in Christianity is an interesting one to poke at. Because Mary has a fall back on option here. It's in her pantry. It's called spikenard. And this is not just something that smells good. I used to, when I was growing up, it was always a perfume. And it is, it has a perfume quality to it, but this is also a commodity. You could trade this. This has value, real world value to sell. Obviously Judas picked up on that, but then it also is like a medicine cabinet in and of itself. And if you're Mary with an older brother who likely was the caretaker for both Mary and Martha, he was the provider, I'm guessing both of their parents were gone, then she's going to look at this and say, okay, if my, my brother ever dies, at least I have this. And in and through this circumstance, I can't just say that in and through Lazarus's death, burial and resurrection, that she is going to awaken, but that's a pretty good description of what awakens us, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we get awakened and God begins to do some deep search through our house and he goes into our pantry and what does he find? He finds those counterfeit places that we have replaced him with. We don't know that we're doing it. We don't realize that our, our spike nard has taken a position, a hold in our life of confidence. But I, I'm so vulnerable to this, guys. When I'm going through an unstable time in my life, there are certain things I look for, and it's just like, okay, as long as that's there. Okay, if I have this. And God has to sort of rough me up every now and then and, and just sort of undermine my foundation of self-confidence or earthly confidence so that I remember where my confidence lies. It's a very good and healthy process, even though there's nothing on the human side that enjoys that. And I feel like Mary probably has walked through something that I can relate to just in a different way. I didn't have an older brother who I was dependent upon die and, you know, get put into grave claws and then stuck in a, a tomb. I didn't walk through that process, but I've gone through that in various other ways. So in a strange sense, I, I feel like I'm Mary. I, I understand Mary's situation. And I don't know how many of you have had these moments where you recognize and you just have a, a glee in your soul of recognizing the power, the redemptive work of grace in your life and the first thing you wanna do is give back. It's like, Lord, whatever you want. And so I'm gonna call that the pound of preciousness where she is going to respond by giving a pound of her spikenard. Now, I'm going to give a, a premise point that I believe Mary has more than that in this first one and that's, that's where this few day passage of time actually works well with this message is that I believe the first one is a measurement of what she gave. The second one is different. And I'll show you the difference in that, but that she is going to give a lot 
to the point where Judas is stirred and just, you know, he's upset about what a waste this is. And yet, she has more to give. Pistikos. So if you know the Greek word for faith, it's pistis. So this word is in every version of this, in Matthew, Mark, and John, of this story. This word pistikos is always associated with nardos. And this word pistikos has a lot to do with faith. And it's basically the object of one's faith. And so what you're going to see in each of these stories is it's going to be pistikos nardos. And it's going to be grouped with this word nardos, which is showing that this is an object in which Mary had placed her confidence. So as I say, the object of Mary's faith was pistikos nardos. It was a healing juice that she actually put her confidence in. As long as I have that on the shelf, I can relax. Even if my brother dies, at least I still have a year's wages worth of backup. I have an insurance policy there. And it's just, it's a human thing for us to do. And when Mary encounters Jesus and Jesus' redemptive work in this situation, you're seeing a transfer. She's recognized that she has put too much confidence in something, that she has leaned on this. This precious thing over here is not as precious as who Jesus is to her. And she is going to give what I'm going to call sort of the thanksgiving offering. And she's going to take a pound of that. And she's going to pour it out on his feet. There's another word that is in this uh, flow that you're going to see in each of those versions. And that is the word polutiles, which is, means very precious, exquisitely valuable of surpassing worth. And that's a description, not of Jesus, but of this spikenard. That's, that, it's showing that this is something of great worth. It's not just an object of, uh, of faith, but it's also something that has, in this earthly realm, exquisite value. It is very, very significant what she is giving up in this situation, which obviously is disturbing Judas as well. So how do we begin in our life? And I, here's what I'm going to say. As far, probably for many of us in here, we have taken out a pound of spikenard and we have poured it out on Jesus' feet. And I can't speak for all of you, but I'm going to hazard a guess that many of us can relate to that at a certain level, where we have taken something very, very precious in our life and we've given it to them. And it's a risk. It's a significant statement that we've given. And yet, in that pantry might be some leftovers, and what this message sort of shows is that God still wants the leftovers. John 12, 3, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But God is deserving all of the preciousness. Mark 14, 3, So this is what is going to be described as two days before Passover. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman having a, came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Now this is a very different description than taking a pound. This is taking the entire flask, the entire container, and breaking it. So I changed out some of the words. Uh, well, no, I highlighted it. Then she broke the flask. So the word for broke means suntrebo, which is, means to shatter into pieces, to break into shivers. I really liked that. There's something about that that's very intriguing to me in its description. But this is a container that is holding all that is precious to her. Now, there's a couple options here. Did you know that in the Matthew and Mark uh, version of this, it never says that it's Mary? You know the reason why we associate that, this circumstance with Mary, which I still like, and I, I like the, the, the mental picture. First of all, it's Bethany, and it likely is Mary or Martha. Now, that's another thought that's gone through my head as I've gone through this, is imagine that, I mean, imagine Mary gives a pound, and then Martha's like, we need to give it all. Either way, I like the storyline because what it's doing is it's touching on that deeper level of consecration that God wants to bring us to. 
that for those of us that have given a pound to Jesus, that there, there, there comes that point in just further meditation, further recognition of who he is, that he deserves everything. And it's really hard to give up a pound. I don't know how to describe how hard it is to give up everything. So the famous quote from Jim Elliott, I know you guys have heard this before, but it's a good one. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So I'm gonna take that quote and I'm gonna swap out some words. He is no fool who shatters into pieces and pours on the head of Jesus what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We have an earthly realm and we have a heavenly. We have earthly investment, we have heavenly investment. Earthly investment, there's nothing wrong with it. However, it can sometimes hold us and it can sometimes be a pastikos. It can be an object of our faith that as long as we have this earthly, then we are settled and our soul is content. And sometimes God has to touch the earthly so that he can build the heavenly. And so there's nothing wrong with having money in your bank account. It's when that money in your bank account is hindering you from growing in the kingdom pattern that God has to touch the money in your bank account. And God will go after the earthly in our life to establish the heavenly because the heavenly is superior. His end goal in our life is not earthly stability. It's heavenly strength. It's the glory of God. And so what you're going to see with Mary and Martha is they are going to be depleted. Their entire source of uh, provision, which is Lazarus, is going to die. And then it's going to be given back to them. Just like we are going to see in their entire insurance policy, they are going to willfully choose to pour it out on Jesus. And this is offensive to the modern culture at that time. There is something about it that it de is deemed a waste and I would say it probably would be deemed a waste today as well. Our God doesn't just give us just a, our God doesn't give us just a little. He gives us everything. And so there's a pattern that has been set in first of all his relationship towards us. Did he give us just a little? He gave he gave us everything. One of the things that is shocking to me is just understanding the mathematics, the equity the scales of justice in regards to what Jesus is giving to us. He's giving us the entire inheritance that he deserves. One of my statements that I've made oftentimes is in Christianity is understanding Christianity is we do not get what we deserve. We get what he deserves. And what's interesting is even though we are getting so much more than we should receive in any sort of transaction, we offer faith, he gives us the kingdom of heaven. It's like, you've got to be kidding. All we have given is a flawed, failed life. He has given a perfect life. He simply asks for our flawed life and he will give us his perfect life in exchange. And that is an irrational thing from God's vantage point. You know, if I'm gonna try and think through the fairness uh, on this, I'm gonna say, no, 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 God, no, no. You can't give that much to us humans. We don't deserve it. We don't get what we deserve. We actually receive what he deserves. He deserves to be exalted to the highest place. He is going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. He is actually our high priest. He is setting the pace and he's taking us with him. And when we believe in him, we share in his victory. It's an amazing statement. And yet we still will dicker on terms. It's like, God, you're asking for an awful lot. You're asking for like my everything. But our everything is a lowercase e everything. It's a very smallish thing. And in exchange for our little lowercase e everything, he gives us a capital E everything. It is very actually unfair to him. It's unjust if you want to look at it towards him. And yet he delights to give us what we do not deserve. So our God doesn't give us just a little. He gives us everything. Christianity isn't giving just a little. It's giving everything. So heavenly math principle number one. You give up earthly, you gain heavenly. This is how we invest in the kingdom of heaven. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to surrender. We're willing to give up 
For instance, as an illustration, you give up earthly applause to gain heavenly applause. You can give up earthly comforts to gain heavenly comfort. And it seems like a really strange investment strategy because what you're investing in, sometimes you don't receive until a long time from now. And so it's very difficult for those that are very earthly minded to actually consider giving things up in this world in order to gain something greater in the next. However, it is not just give up in this world, gain in the next. It's give up in this world and you still gain in this world. (laughs) I don't know how to describe that, but you do. The increase of heavenly light and understanding and warmth of his presence is very real when you trust and obey your God. And even in this life, we are rewarded, even though our great reward is actually still to come. So that's heavenly math principle number one. Here's heavenly math principle number two. Whatever you give up in earthly currency, you gain exceedingly abundantly more in heavenly currency. So if you give something in earth's uh, system of currency, earth's value system here, what you get in the heavenly uh, comparative is exceeding abundantly beyond that. So say you gave up $1 here, it's like you get a million dollars here. It doesn't even, it it's, it's doesn't even compare, it's not normal math, let's just put it that way. It is so outrageous what we receive for giving up so little down here. And yet we cling to the little down here Because this is what we have. This is what we can see. This is what we can lean on. This is where our security oftentimes comes from. And just like Mary and Martha, they have a pastikos nardos. They have an object of their faith, which to them is described as spike nard. And yet to us, it has different names. We have different things that we lean on. A investment portfolio or a bank account or health or as long as I have that medicine in the medicine cabinet, I can sleep well tonight. There's various things that we will put in a place of a savior and it's called idolatry. And it may not be an intentional idolatry because something that is actually totally neutral and fine for our life, like having money in a bank account, there's nothing wrong about that. That's not idolatry. It's when it becomes the object of our faith. It's when it becomes the stick on which we lean. It's when it becomes our little miniature savior. And as long as I have that, I don't need to call on God. When something usurps and replaces God in our life, that is idolatry. And it's not something that I can assess as a pastor from the outside. It's something the spirit of God needs to deal with each one of us on. And only the spirit of God can know if something is displacing and replacing God in our life. And that's a a significant thing that needs to be addressed. The puddle principle. If you've been around Ellerslie, you might've heard about the puddle principle somewhere along the line. Uh, But this is giving up the little in order to prove the more. So this is quite a ways back. uh, I think it's before Ellerslie. Yeah, it was before Ellerslie. And uh, the Ludies were in a very dire situation financially. Uh, we, we had, there had been a hailstorm, uh, and I remember, I think it, was, it was a tornado that came through. I think that's, that might've been what it was, but we had, I think we had some kind of insurance thing that came in and we spent all the money just to survive. It's one of those types of things. So we had some damaged cars, you know, that still had hail damage. And I, I could not figure out how to get above, you know, the water line where my nose was above it. It was just a, a really, challenging stretch of time. And I remember we had a certain amount of money in the bank and I knew that we had our mortgage payment coming up. And so that was like enough to cover the mortgage payment. And so I I was outside mowing. I was actually starting the mower and I looked down and I saw uh, Leslie's vehicle, which I don't remember what kind of vehicle it was, but the tires were like balding on it. And I knew I had to get her new tires. And it's just what a good husband would do. And I remember having the discussion with God that I, I just don't have the money for it. You know, if I had the money for it, I'd get her new tires. First of all, buying tires is one of the most unromantic purchases you could ever make. Now, some of you may really like tires. I, I have never had any love relationship with tires. And 
So it was, it was a struggle to start with, uh, just to even ponder spending money on that. And it was an SUV, which means the tires seem to be more expensive too. And so as I'm getting ready to pull the, the, the pull cord, I don't remember what that thing's called, uh, on the mower, I have this discussion with God that I don't have the money. And in a strange way, I feel like God answers back and says, so you're saying you don't have the money to, to buy new tires. You see, I had a certain amount of money in the account, but that was going to be used for the mortgage coming up. And so it was sort of awkward for me to know how to respond to that because like, well, technically I have the money. It's just that that money is spoken for. So you have the money. Well, okay, I have the money, but that money is going to be spent in the future. So you have the money. And this is a really hard moment for me because I have the money and I just said, God, if I have the money, I would gladly give, get new tires. So I have the money. But if I spend that money, then I won't have enough for the mortgage. And that was the tension point right there because God was sort of hinting at it saying, but would you trust me for the money for the mortgage then? Oh, I, I don't really want to have to do that. Could you just supernaturally heal her tires? I mean, there's other ways we could skin this cat, right? And so I've always called this the puddle principle. There's a gigantic aquifer. Let's imagine that this whole room is, is an aquifer, but you can't see the water when it's in an aquifer, right? So we have a whole bunch of water. And imagine one of these chairs is the little puddle that we are able to see. That's what, we, uh, in, that's what we have access to in the natural realm at this exact moment. It's a little puddle of provision. And that puddle of provision is just enough to deal with what's in front of us today. And it really bothers us because I, I want a big lake of provision. I don't want a puddle of provision. And it's a human instinct to want the lake of provision. I don't know if you guys can agree with me on that. I mean, just give me, I want to see that I can cover all my expenses for like the next, I don't know, 100 years. You know, God, if I'm going to bid, that's how I'm going to bid. You know, till I die, I'd never want to have to have a faith challenge again in my life. And yet God will sometimes bring us to the puddle where all we have is enough to buy the tires. And yet he says, will you trust me that as you spend in the direction that you know is obedience, that you know is right, that you do it in faith, do you know that I will supply from my endless aquifer? And so you draw the water out of that puddle and it's empty. Oh no. And then you buy your tires. And then what happens to the puddle? Bloop. It fills up. Now it doesn't fill up to lake size. It just fills up. And what you need for your mortgage then is there. And this is a tension that I don't prefer, to be honest with you, and I would love to skip over. I'd love for you guys to have a season where you get tested that way and I can give you counsel in how to walk through it. But I would prefer not to walk through it personally, right? And even though I've walked through this many times, there's still a, a desire to avoid that in the future. And that's right where God always is working in me. Eric, as I did in the past, I will do in the present. And as I do in the present, I will always do in the future. I will always care for you. And so if you're in a puddle season where that's all you have, I want you to know that you have so much more than that, you just can't see it. You have endless access to the treasury of heaven to carry out the assignment that you've been called to. And just because in the natural realm you only see a puddle does not mean you only have a puddle. It just means that's all you see. The gospel exchange giving up the little in order to prove the more. So when we come to Christ, what the transaction is, is we are giving up our life, our lowercase l life, to receive the capital L life of our Savior. And that's how we start Christianity, but this is also how we continue it. We are always letting go of littles so that we can gain mores. Heavenly is the more. Earthly is the little. And everything about this, I mean, you, you look at Jesus, you look at all of his apostles, what are they going to do? They're going to actually give up their very lives so that they can get true capital L life. They are going to model something for us. And this is the formation of the church. The fact that we've grown up in modern American Christianity causes us to lose sight of this because most of us aren't being asked for very much. We're not being asked to sacrifice very much. And yet Christianity throughout the ages starts with the premise 
You give up everything. The problem is we've grown up in a version of Christianity which doesn't. And so we haven't necessarily seen it modeled. If we were all living around C.T. Studd, who was one of the wealthiest men in all of England, who is then going to have a radical conversion to Christ, and then he's going to be moved by Hudson Taylor when he comes back to visit, and he's going to join the Cambridge Seven, he's going to go over to China, and when he does, he sells everything he has and gives it away. But no one knows that he did that. So everyone thinks it's this wealthy playboy over in China that doesn't need any support. Meanwhile, he's going to come to God alone and never tell anyone of his needs, and God is going to supernaturally support him for his entire time in China. He's going to get married and have kids there, and he's going to supernaturally live because no one knows he gave his fortune away. It's like, that's a bad strategy. At least let it slip, let it sneak out into the English countryside that you sold everything, gave it all away. Because how, who's going to support you if they don't know you have need? God will. Ah, we don't like that as the answer. Because I want to know that I have something in the earthly that is concrete and that is stable. The widow of Zarephath, giving up the little in order to prove the more. Do you remember Elijah is going to be fed by a raven and he's going to have this brook and the brook is going to dry up and the raven is going to stop coming and God's going to change his plan for Elijah. He's going to supply for him through a widow, a widow woman in Zarephath that has, by the way, nothing. And he's going to supply through that. And so Elijah believes God and comes to the gate of the widow who has a young son and uh, he says to her, uh, give me a drink and feed me. This is like a very rude uh, introduction into her life. And she says, well, I, I only have a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And I was just about to bake a, a cake, or I don't know what they described it as, like a little uh, bread type of a thing. And then my son and I were going to eat and die. That was like where Elijah's going to catch him. In other words, that's all they have left. And this is what Elijah says, feed me first. Make it for me and you'll never run out. And I, I want us to just catch that. The mighty prophet of old, Jesus Christ, comes to us and says, feed me first. Not because he's rude, even though it does translate that way a little in the story, but because he loves us. He says, you work with faith. You take that little oil and that little flour and you give it to me. And you'll never run out of it. And this widow woman is going to do that. And she's going to bake a cake. I don't know, it sounds funny. I forgot what it was called, but we'll call it a cake. Bake the cake for Elijah and feed him first. And her oil and her flour are never going to run out. That's amazing. You see, that's the puddle principle right there, but that's also the gospel principle. That is, we trust God with our life. And I, I recognize this is a tension point for all of us, and we don't really like messages like this. We like to theorize about them. We don't like to live them out. But when we give up our hold on the earthly, and we hold it loosely, and we let it go, we say, God, this is yours. This is not where I'm going to put my trust. I'm not going to cling to this. I'm going to relinquish this afresh. That's when God can increase our heavenly portfolio. Assuredly, this is Mark 14, 9. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So what this woman, which we're going to presume is Mary, okay, that's probably the, the best way to presume that she's going to pour out, or pour out an, a, a pound of this and then she's going to break it open on his head uh, four days later. That what this woman has done Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world is going to be told as a memorial to her. Now, this is a, a tricky one for those of us that hear this scripture. We're like, so when I share the gospel, am I supposed to talk about this woman? So we're on the streets of Fort Collins, and this person's walking by like, Jesus loves you. Oh, and by the way, there's a woman that poured out some spike dart. Oh, boy. It's like, do we have to share this every time we bring up the gospel? And here's what I would say. What this woman did... What did she do? She took that which she had faith in and she gave it up for that which can truly save her. She transferred her faith from a counterfeit to the real thing. 
She gave up the little in her life to gain the more. That's what she did. It's called faith. She emptied out that which she could have earthly confidence in so that she could take that grip of faith and grab a hold of Jesus. And basically, when you're sharing the gospel, what are you going to say? Do likewise. Let go of your little to gain the more. Let go of your lowercase l life to gain capital L life. What this woman did will be shared every time the gospel is preached because the gospel must have the invitation associated with it. This is for you. Well, how am I supposed to appropriate that? Let go of this false savior in your grip and gain grip Jesus Christ. That's why it's shared. And it's a memorial to her. What she did is a modeling of how faith works. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus speaking. The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which when a man is found, he hides and for joy thereof goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So if you know that there's a treasure, what are you supposed to do to get it? Sell everything. Give up everything in order to procure this. If you knew that in the kingdom of heaven, there are great riches and there's a great reward and you know it is so exceeding abundantly beyond anything you could ever gain or invest in in this world what would you be willing to do to get it I would say it's logical even as an investor to think of giving up anything here that is getting in the way and then blockading so that you can gain everything there Matthew 13, 45 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now there's two ways of looking at this. One is us. We're the ones that are uh, you know, finding a goodly pearl. And when we find the pearl of great price, we're willing to give up everything in order to get it. You could also look at it from the heavenly realms, the ones speaking it. Jesus is one and he's found something that is worth very much to him and that's us. And what is he going to do? He's going to give up everything in order to get it. See, he modeled this already towards us. And now I think it makes sense for us to reciprocate, for us to do the same in response, to say, Jesus, you gave up everything for me. The least I could do is give everything up for you. The Lazarus dilemma. So when Lazarus is sick in your life, when you have an impediment in your life, what do you turn to? You have spikenard. You have something earthly that can solve your, your issues. Ironically, it cannot solve the issue. That's what's funny, is it's a temporary patch for our problems. An earthly solution is actually not a real solution, especially when it displaces or replaces God. It actually is creating a greater problem. But you could just sort of imagine Mary and Martha whipping out the spikenard and trying to address the dilemma of Lazarus. It doesn't mean they don't have faith in Jesus, but Jesus isn't there. Jesus sort of left town. He's not around. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. And so this is when we oftentimes default to the earthly solution. When Jesus is quiet, silent, when Jesus seems distant, he doesn't seem to be engaged in our problem. And then we go back to an old remedy. When in actuality, Jesus gave him his word. This sickness will not end in death. And they have something to put their faith in. I recognize how hard it would be. It's easy for us to cluck our tongue at Mary and Martha and say, well, if I was there, I would have believed. I would have stood strong, like even when he died. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even after the first day of him dying. Oh yeah. Even after four days when he stinks. Oh, absolutely. I know Jesus is going to just stroll into town and say, roll away the stone. Yeah, it's pretty easy for us to say that, isn't it? Because we have the storyline, but how about your story? When you get to that moment, where do you turn? Because what God is wanting to instruct us to do is to pour out the spike nard on him, to take what would be an earthly solution and say, God, you are my solution. That's exactly what fasting is. You see, what we need to be able to make it through the day is food. And when we choose to deliberately not eat, what we're saying is, God, I need an answer from a heavenly realm because the earthly side is not sufficient. And so I am going to prove it by 
not eating food here to show my reliance on you bringing your solution from the heavenly realms to this earthly realm. And that is precisely what I'm going to say is what Mary and Martha are learning in this story. That they have a vulnerability to turn to the physical realm or the earthly realm for their solace. And they want to trust this Messiah with everything. Is he not deserving? Is he not faithful? Is he not proven himself? Did he not just say, roll away the stone and Lazarus come forth? And Lazarus did come forth. Now what is our response? What is our response when we see God faithful in our life? Is it that we immediately go back to our previous methods or that we're willing to forsake our previous methods and say, God, I'm all in. You are deserving of everything I am. So it's interesting because spikenard is considered a healing juice. And it's like some East Indian plant that when crushed, you get this incredibly perfumey, uh, oily, delicious thing, right? That is, heals, and it has all sorts of amazing properties, it has a perfume quality, deodorant quality. I mean, it has all sorts of unique uh, attributes to it. And some of you were very impressed with it. And if you had this in your pantry back in those days, you could understand why someone might want to cling to it. You could understand why Judas might be a little disturbed that it's just being poured out and wasted, or is it being wasted? Nothing is ever wasted when it is given up for Jesus. Nothing. So the blood of Jesus, I know we don't typically call it a healing juice, but when Jesus is crushed, out comes a very beautiful, delicious thing. Something that is hard to describe in terms of earthen description, but it is so far surpassing the virtue and the power and the ability of something known as spikenard. What the shed blood of Jesus is able to accomplish in our lives is so much greater than what the oil, the juice that comes out of this East Indian plant. And Mary and Martha are holding on to an East Indian plant juice as opposed to the king of heaven who has given up everything, his very life, so that they could partake of it. And if you recognize that you are struggling and holding on to something earthly in light of the grand gift of the cross, I say it's reasonable and it's logical to give up and to let go of that which you have in your grip. The blood of Jesus, the healing juice of heaven. The blood of Jesus, something exceeding abundantly beyond spikenard. You give up your spikenard, what do you get? It's interesting because this very week that this is all happening, they give up their spikenard, what do they get? They don't just get Lazarus back. They get the healing juice of heaven. They get something so much greater than earthly spikenard. This is a challenging message for all of us of how to apply it, and only the individual can apply it. I can't say, all right, everyone go and liquidate your funds, you know, everything you have, sell your houses, and, you know, I'm not sure what to tell you to do with it, but, you know, it's going to be good. That's not the issue for all of us. What matters is the idolatry, the false saviors in our life that can bring us a certain level of confidence that God intends to give us. That when we lean on something other than Jesus, that's what God has to touch. When we look to something other than Jesus, that's something God has to touch. And so for all of us in our own unique way to allow the Spirit of God to enter and to examine and to touch, to highlight, to shine light on anything in us that needs to be freshly relinquished. And sometimes that does mean selling all and giving. But sometimes it simply means letting go of it so that God can do whatever he wants with it, which may not mean anything but he has it now. And if he ever wants to ask for it, that's his business. But for us on our part, our job is not to define that. Our job is to respond. When we see Lazarus come forth in our life, when we see the faithfulness of God, our God, when we see that which was dead, buried, and then risen again, what do we do in light of that amazing accomplishment on our behalf? You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, 
but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So not just a pound of precious spikenard on his feet, but all of it broken and poured out on his head. We have a lot to be thankful for. And even if you are at, still at the cave's mouth in your life, and you still haven't even seen Lazarus come forth, you have a lot to be thankful for. God is going to prove faithful. He is going to show himself strong. He is going to deliver you. He is going to heal. He is going to do what no man can do because that's what he does. He's very good at being God. But for those of us that have seen it, and we've actually seen Lazarus come forth, our response should even be that much more vigorous because we are freshly tasting the goodness of our God in our life. And let us animate that by freshly going to the pantry and by looking around to say, God, is there anything in here that is a replacement for you? Because I want you to be king and Lord of every corner, every inch of my soul. I don't want there to be any shadowy moments in there. I want it all to be yours. Do you not deserve it? Father, I ask that you would search us and know us. And Lord, in your gentle way, I pray that you would correct us. And that if there's anything that we are gripping today that is not heavenly, that is not you, that is not our Savior, Lord, I pray that we would freshly relinquish it and that we would give it up. And like Mary, that we would be willing to break it open on you. We love you and we trust you. You are good, faithful, and true. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.